Welcome to the Mind Vine Podcast, where we challenge the stigma associated with mental illness through conversations about a variety of issues impacting mental health. Here we bring you news, views, and interviews that intrigue, educate, and celebrate recovery. Leading us on this journey are the hosts of the Mind Vine Podcast, Daryl Mathers and Chris Bovey. Welcome to the Mind Vine Podcast. Uh, my name is Daryl Mathers, and I'm with my co-host, Chris Bovey in Curtis, Ontario. Chris, how are you? Very good. How's the golf game coming? Actually, that's the only good thing that's come out of this pandemic <laughs> is, is I'm playing more golf. My game still sucks, but uh, I get to experience how bad I am at golf more often because I'm, I really have no other options. Just but, take uh, one good shot. One good shot makes you come back. So. That's all I have is one shot. <laughs> So, no, that's, it's going all right. Uh, before we go any further, just, again, uh, this is the pandemic, COVID-19, and while a lot of us at Ontario Shores are in our basements and rec rooms or wherever we are, uh, our, a lot of our staff are at the hospital uh, living through this with our patients and, uh, you know, really rising up to the occasion. Uh, you know, it's been three months now. It's hard to believe. So, shout out to everybody uh, at Ontario Shores. Uh, for for doing that. Um, before we kind of uh, get going, uh, what have you been doing uh, lately to keep your you know professional and personal life on track as you deal with the the pandemic? It's it's hard, right? Because there's no separation of church and state at home. It all kind of blends into one. But um, I, you know, I think it's just you know getting out. We, you know, get out for a walk. You know, I go for a bike ride around dinner time with with one of my daughters, and so I think it's just trying to keep as normal as, as possible. I think work is interesting because you, you're trying to move certain things forward, but it is all hands on deck when it comes to the pandemic, and you got to be sort of looking at both of those things. But but it's still been busy. Lots of things are, are happening and going on outside of of the pandemic, but. Um, you know, and then we have graduation coming up for my one uh, daughter who's going into high school. So a virtual graduation will be the first time I've ever experienced that. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. Um, well, I know. You, her, prom dress, her prom dress was not virtual. It did cost a lot of money. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I mean, it's been interesting to see the creative ways that people are uh, kind of celebrating those milestones in life and trying to make the best of the situation. And uh, it's no, no, secret, no secret that that was my segue into our next guest, who has been very creative in this pandemic uh, because she's been confined to her basement for the last three months while um, being part of a national uh, TV morning show. So um, our next guest is Kelsey McCune. You might know her as the chief meteorologist uh, for Your Morning on CTV. Kelsey? Good Hi. afternoon. Hey. Nice, to, nice to meet you virtually. <laughs> thank, you. Thank, thank you for Hello. joining us. Hello. It's the afternoon and I'm still in the basement. Still. <laughs> yeah. I was uh, saying, to, uh, saying to Chris and to other people that when I told them you're we going to be on the podcast that whenever I think about, you know, how challenging this has been for me, you know, my wife's working from home as well and we have three kids, you know, between six and 12. 
and everybody's going through something. I turn on the morning and I see you in your basement with your two small kids. And I'm like, (laughs) things could be worse. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I would be lying if I said there weren't days where this feels like the greatest challenge I've ever been handed. Uh, But there's also so many good parts that have come out of it. And so like any person, I think I'm trying to find silver linings where they happen. And even if it's like, hey, everybody ate all their food today, or like my kids got dressed today. Like that's the silver lining. I will take it and I will run with it. And just so people, like when I say you're working from home in your, you know, in your basement, for people who may not be familiar, like there's oftentimes your kids just appear on camera, uh, <laughs> right? Like it's not as though yeah. like they're, it's, it's sometimes like you're, you're on the fly, you're trying to do your job. And then I'm sure, you, I'm sure we can't see, but somebody's pulling on your leg. And the, because oh, eventually yeah. they do appear on, on uh, screen. So it must be hard sometimes to keep your focus while you're in front of the camera and all these things are going on. Yeah, that the hardest is my two-year-old. My five-year-old, like he just wants to snuggle. So he's the one you often see as like huge human that I'm holding because he just wants to snuggle into me. It's my two-year-old who <laughs> he's got a lot of attitude and <laughs> really knows what he wants to do in the world, which is not anything I want him to do. <laughs> so that negotiating while I'm on TV is challenging. Um, and he also doesn't know how to be quiet. So he has got my gift of gab and he loves to talk. So <laughs> like this morning, I heard the door open and my husband who was sitting beside me, like goes to sprint to run upstairs to stop the tiny humans from entering the basement. Um, cause the Paw Patrol had worn off. So like, uh, yep. there's no, there's no secret. It's like a lot of TV and a lot of snacks to keep them occupied. Um, so that I can make it through the uh, morning show. <laughs> That's great. So my biggest anxiety was even just saying meteorologist during this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I'd love to find out how you got, I know you went to journalism. How did you get into this? Field, mm-hmm. by the way? Oh, gosh. Um, so I went to journalism school and I became a reporter and I got my first gig and I was uh, out in Saskatchewan, like right out of out of J school, um, which in the in the biz is journalism school. So I got my first job right away uh, with the network and I was in Regina and I was working as a reporter and I'm curious by nature. So that was a really fun job until I had to go to my first crime scene and I had to talk to a family who had just lost a loved one. And Everything was accidental in the end, but still as a reporter, your job is to be there and your job is to ask questions. And that broke my heart. And as you guys have seen, I cry a lot, um, usually on TV. And it's, it's not easy to do a reporter's job and have that big of emotions. Mm-hmm. So I knew I was in the right tree. I was just in the wrong branch. And one day our weather anchor at the time had gotten a new job and she had moved to what we were calling the big smoke. She'd moved to Toronto and it was very exciting. Uh, and um, my girlfriend at the time, she, uh, my, my best friend, she was the one who got to fill in for weather anchoring and she hated it. Like she's now working in London. She is a correspondent. She is hardcore journalism. So she hated filling in on the weather. She's like, you know, Kelsey would love to do this. And she kind of volunteered me. I was like, actually I would, I'd love to do, sure, let's try it. So I started filling in and then I never stopped. And then eventually I was just like, I can't do this. I can't do the weather and not know what I'm talking about. Because that's actually how a lot of weather people start is they just kind of get thrown into it. And you really don't know what you're talking about. So 
anyway, I registered for Mississippi State University's meteorology course. Um, and I'm a, by trade, I'm an operational meteorologist, which just means I've done a little more calculus uh, in the program. But um, I, I took that over three years by correspondence. And um, in that time frame, I got married and I got pregnant and I had my first son. Uh, and I became a meteorologist. So um, from there, that was, gosh, that was 2015. I wrote my certification exams. And then here I am now, five years later. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing about this job is just like, you learn so much every single day. I learned a weather term that I had never seen before um, the other day because there's this science is evolving and it, we're learning so much more every single day. So as someone who is curious by nature, that really taps into that. Uh, and I'm a nerd, like I'm a huge nerd. So <laughs> like, there you go. It all kind of wraps up together. I think one of the things that makes you so endearing on the show is that you're, it feels like you're yourself, right? And I, it, by all accounts, you like, it's just an extension of your personality of what you do uh, on your morning. And, you know, like the way you interact with uh, your co-hosts, the way you interact with viewers. But it kind of took another step a little while ago when, you know, you work for CTV, they're, you know, big backers of Bell Let's Talk, and you took the leap to tell your own story uh, with mental health. So a couple of things, you know, with that, um, what, you know, what's your experience been, been like, you know, living with, with, with mental health, and, you know, which is around the time your, your son was born, uh, and also the experience of sharing it. Like, you know, people share it all the time at Ontario Shores, uh, they, they do so in a lot of ways, compartmentalized, like in a program or maybe even online a little bit, but like you're a, a national figure and you're, you're doing this as part of a, an initiative. So what was, what was that experience like? Wow, that, that, is, that is a big question. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, well, so my experience, um, so I, my first son was born in 2014, but if we rewind a year before that, I had uh, had my first miscarriage. Uh, I think a lot of couples suffer with infertility and, and we were one of them and uh, it was kind of unexplained. But that, when I miscarried, um, that really kind of spiraled me downwards. I, I have never, I had never suffered from depression um, or anxiety before. And that was like the switch. And once that switch was flipped, I felt like whenever, whenever I could be triggered, I would be. Um, I would be susceptible to depression. So that, that was a very dark period. And then, and then I got pregnant with Jack and it was very scary. And I, I felt this anxiety that I had never felt before because we had lost a pregnancy and that never went away. And then Jack was born. And that year, like if I could go back and redo a year, that would be the year I would go back. There's so many moments where I just like, I can't even, I can't even think about it because the, the tightness happens around my throat and I feel that that frustration that I just didn't see how much I was suffering. I was suffering beyond anything I ever knew, but I'm a TV person and my job is literally to just kind of turn it on. And so I did and I hid it and people, my husband would ask me if I was okay. And I would lie and say, yes, I'm fine. And I'd go to the doctor and you'd, you get a checklist. It's like, how's your mental health? And I'd be like, perfect. (laughs) Except it wasn't, but I just could not admit for me what felt like a failure. And now looking back, I know it was not a failure. It was so beyond my control. It was, for me, it's very hormonal. Um, And that was not my fault. That was not my fault at all. And for me, when I stopped breastfeeding, that's when the fog began to lift. And I had met a group of friends in that year in my uh, prenatal course when I was pregnant and then kind of had continued that friendship through that year of maternity leave. 
And all of a sudden, one of them, Barb said to me, it's like, you're a different person. Like you, you, you're so bright and, and happy and, and you don't worry about things. And I realized, oh my gosh, she doesn't know me. She's only known me with postpartum depression. And that like floored me. And so from there, it was a lot of conversations with my family and my, and my husband and my mom and my best friends. And I realized the more I talked about it, the more people looked at me and they thought, you? But no, like you're, you're so happy and, and you're so, you've got this perfect life and you're young and you're healthy and, and you're suffering. Oh my gosh, if you're suffering, it must be okay if I'm suffering too. So from day one, I got this overwhelming response of like, thank you for sharing. Um, and then every day, and when, then I fast forward several years and I start working on this national morning show. And I realized that the more authentic I was on my platform on the show, but also on my social media, the more people looked at me and they felt brave enough to speak their own truth. And so it's terrifying. Every time I post something, it is terrifying and I get sweaty hands and I get shaky and I think, oh, am I doing the right thing? And then the messages start coming in and I realize one, I'm not alone and I'm normal, normal, quote unquote, normal, um, but also that they're okay too. And that this is, this is part of the human experience and it's a crummy part and it's kind of the hardest part, but it is part of the human experience and, and we have nothing to be ashamed of because we all go through it at some point or another. And if we haven't yet, we probably will, or we know someone who will. And the more we talk about it, the less alarming and frightening it is when it happens. For me, I had never considered that I could suffer. And then when I did, I was shocked and scared and I hid from it. But I hope that by sharing my story, someone else won't be surprised when it happens and they'll, they'll actually, they'll talk about it and they'll ask for help because I don't want anyone to kind of go through that that alone like I did. Kelsey, was there, a, what was the point that you actually reached out to get help through a therapist and that? Was there, was there one point or was it just, you know, sort of clarity and talking to other people that made you decide, I need to actually go and, and talk to somebody professional? It took me a long time to go ask for help, um, like years. Uh, and because, because I think I would kind of, it would go in ebbs and flows or um, highs and lows. And so there'd be some times where it was really bad and it was really tough and just talking to my husband would get me through. And, and as long as I was working out enough and meditating and eating well, that kind of, that got me through those, those humps. Um, but then the year after my second son was born, I was back at work um, I was getting all these opportunities at work and things were going really good and my career was, was continuing forward and I was working out and I was eating right and I was meditating and I was talking to my friends and I still felt awful. I felt awful and I could not see the good. I could not, I could not get past the things that were holding me back and I was driving home and I was on the 401, which as you know, is a, a big old highway in Ontario and it's super busy and I was holding the wheel with two hands and I was just sobbing on my way home. And the tears could not stop. And I thought, I can't do this anymore. Like this, I can't do this on my own. I have tried every coping mechanism that I have, and it is not enough. I need help. And so I literally Googled therapists in my area, and one popped up, and I, I, I called, and the poor receptionist who picked up the phone, like, she probably deals with this every single day, but I'm like sobbing. <laughs> She's trying to get out of me what I need help for. And if I'm safe and if I'm okay, do I need to call 911? Um, which was like kudos to this, this woman who answered the phone and who has to encounter that every day. And 
anyway, booked the appointment and I went and, and started talking to a psychologist and, and she helped me realize that everything I had kind of gone through in the last five years, um, having a miscarriage, um, having a baby and losing kind of the hobbies, the life that I had pre-baby, because I really kind of, as many parents do, I kind of gave up everything and just became a working mom. Um, And then moving across the country, those three big traumas I went through, I was experiencing grief. I had no idea. I had no idea that grief could look like that or that you could feel grief for something like that. But that understanding, oh, like the doors of empathy just opened for myself, for other people. And I thought, oh my God, these are traumas. These are traumas we are experiencing. And we have every right to feel all these emotions. It's just when those emotions stop you from moving forward, that that's when it's not okay. So yeah, so that was my journey into therapy. It's, it's amazing that, you know, you talk about that, the process of going through that uh, and working through it and then the public piece. But now you mentioned your mental health issues kind of in passing. I think I, I, I don't know if it was today because every day feels the same right now, but it was, <laughs> it does. It was, it might've been this morning you were introducing a segment and you talked about your own personal mental health struggles or maybe been Friday. I'm not sure when it was, but uh, you, you say it um, just as part of who you are, right? It's like, yeah. it's just, it's just, it's just an extension of your, of your personality or your, your persona. And it's like, you know, that's so we've come a long way when you think about oh my gosh. like this is society, but you in particular, like in your journey, like that must've seemed like, you know, an unattainable or I'm not sure exactly what I'm trying to say, but it just seems so um, representative of how far we, we have come. It does. You know, you know, that reminds me. So when I was working in Calgary, that was my last job prior to this one. And that's my hometown, Calgary. I was, there was a day where I was in the makeup room um, at CTV where I was working and one of my coworkers, we were taught, I don't know what we were talking about, but I mentioned, do you ever like, can't, do you ever feel like you can't breathe? Like, does your chest ever feel so tight? Like you just can't get a breath? I'm like, I'm feeling that right now. She looked at me and said, Kelsey, that sounds like an anxiety attack. And I, I, the shame I felt at saying that I was like, no, 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 that's no, no way is that anxiety. No. And I shut it down immediately. And now today I'd be like, I'm feeling anxious. Like this is what anxiety feels like for me. And immediately I would identify, I'd say it on the air. I'd say it right now. I'd say it to my children, I'd say mommy's feeling anxious um, because I'm not afraid of it anymore. The more afraid of it I was, the more quiet I was about it, the bigger it was and the more power it had. And now today, like it's not a bad thing that I feel like it's actually a wonderful, in some ways, it can be a wonderful warning sign that this doesn't feel good for me this feels uncomfortable for me and maybe I need to look at whether or not I should be doing it. And sometimes it's just useless and it's an, an annoying more than anything. And I just say, okay, this is my body's natural response and it's not helpful. And <laughs> like, thank you, but no. Um, and then sometimes it's a, okay, Kelsey, you got to pick up the phone and call your therapist and you got to make an appointment. So now that I'm able to just kind of live alongside it instead of fighting it, I realize that I can be anxious and happy and anxious and sad and anxious and a good mom and anxious and, and adventurous. I can be anxious in all these things and it doesn't, I don't have to just be anxious, you know, mm-hmm. does that, I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I want to, on Shores, so I don't know if you know, we, we have one of the only, uh, eating disorders units in, of its kind in Ontario. So I want to switch to a bit of the, 
you know, in the media, the body shaming issue that came up. And I mm -hmm. loved your tweet. It was kind of like a homage to Fight Club. The two rules of my body is not your concern. My body is not your yeah. concern. Um, yeah. But I, but I want to, you know, I, I really want to touch on that because, you know, and maybe we'll get into sort of bigger political things after, but, but I, we're seeing that a lot. And I've seen, you know, Billie Eilish and different celebrities pushing back on body shaming. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about mm -hmm. that incident uh, period in your life and, and what you, what, what you're trying to do to sort of push the narrative in a positive way. Sure. Well, like it comes to the territory you work on TV and people look at you and they, they create an opinion. And I hate that. If I'm I like, I'll be totally honest with you guys. It's my least favorite part of the job because how I look is the least interesting thing about me. And I don't like talking about how other people look. I don't like talking how my children look. I don't like talking about how I look because it just doesn't matter. I saw this great post one time and, and I can't take credit for it, but it said, you know how you talk to your daughter about her body? You don't. You tell her how it works because that's what her body's there for. It's a, it's a tool for us, but that's not the world we live in. And I grew up in a world where there was one look that was valuable and it was tall and skinny and young. And I think so many of us see that and we think that's what I have to be to be valuable. And as I'm getting older, I'm better at reminding myself that that's not true. Our value is so much bigger than that. But as a TV host, there's a lot of value that gets placed on how I look. In fact, the, the number one piece of feedback I get is how I look from the viewers, whether they like it or they don't. And the incident you're talking about happened when I was pregnant with my second son. So when I was pregnant with my first son, I worked in a local market uh, in Calgary, and it's a smaller audience, and so you have less feedback. But on the national scale, there was a lot of it, and a lot of it was very positive. Um, which I try to ignore too, because you can't let the positive build you up because then the negative tears you down. But I did get some negative feedback. And one day a man tweeted me and, or tweeted the show, which we see all the tweets anyway, so it didn't really matter. But he tweeted and said, your maternity wear is disgusting. Now at that point, I was like eight months pregnant. So like there is no hiding the fact that you're growing a human and your body has changed. Um, but no longer was I this, this ideal image. I had a big old belly in front. And I was so mad at that point. I mean, the world wasn't as, wasn't, was it what it is today, but we were starting to talk about social injustice more and more. And I tweeted him back and I said, if that is what you see in the world is the problem to fix, like you need to reevaluate mm. what your issues are because the world is dark and it is scary and it is messed up. And how I look is the least of our concerns. And one of my producers, Tyler, he helped me kind of put all my thoughts together for the TV side of things when we talked about it. And he said, what if you say, my body is not your concern? And I thought, Yes, that's it. My, like, my body is not yours to take personally. How I look, that is not yours to own. What I choose to do with my body, that is not yours. That is mine. And that has served me so well. I've, so many women have messaged, messaged me over the years now saying, I've used that line. <laughs> and I say, yeah, girl, you did. Yeah, you did. Because you know what, like so many times, the issues that you see, especially online, stem from people taking things personally that have nothing to do with them. And if we can move past that, if we can talk about the more interesting things about each other, can you imagine what good we could do in this world? 
But instead we're stuck on, oh, her roots are showing or, oh, she's gained weight or like she's got a pimple. Like who cares? Who cares? Did I set you up with the weather? Did I make your day better by telling you the good news? Yes. And I've done my job. You know? there's so there's a couple times like the one time chris has, has mentioned where you challenge you know kind of people on social media a little bit for uh not necessarily for their views on you but like how i mean i think there was one time uh where you were up front about um your struggles with uh, fertility and somebody was saying you know made a comment about whether you were guessing whether you were pregnant or not and i, I really liked how you called them out but you didn't shame them either uh, you blacked out their name and you said, you know what, this is really an insensitive comment. I wish I was pregnant or something, something to that effect that, you know, it's really not their place to, uh, to make that kind of comment, right? That it's not, it's not necessary. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder how, how do you manage, how do you manage this? Because I think about my own, my own social media channels, which are like, mm-hmm. a, you know, a small sliver of what you, your audience, right? But whenever I post something, I'm like, Okay, don't be too political because I don't want my uncles <laughs> who are super conservative to like crash my my Facebook feed, and I don't want to offend that person because I, you know, like I I'm, I go through this process in my own little you know social media world. How do you mm-hmm. how do you determine what you're going to take on when your audience is so so big? Yeah, a lot of good people around me. Um, one of them is our executive producer, Jen McLean, on the show. And her and I have these like hour-long conversations about the world and how to respond to things. And her guidance is, is invaluable. So she, her and I, through a lot of conversations, because I like to respond. That's, that's my inclination. My inclination is to challenge what I feel is unfair, because I feel like if you just ignore it, which is the advice of many people, they say, just ignore it, they're trolls. But I feel like if you ignore it, you let them get away with it. And that's, that's not how you fix anything. Fixing is hard. Change is hard. It is uncomfortable. It doesn't always work. Sometimes you take three steps backwards instead of moving forwards. But change requires action. And if you don't act and you don't respond, you're never going to fix the world. You're just going to let it be status quo. And as we know, the world isn't perfect. So we need to, we need to act. We need to challenge. But it's through conversations with Jen where she said, well, you know, I love that you want to respond, but do we want people to see, see the fruits of your labor or do we just want them to attack that person? And when she said that, I thought, you're right. If I, if I ever kept someone's name in there, then it becomes less of a, hey, how do we do better as a society? And more like a, hey, now let's troll this person. And that's ineffective. Like, that's exactly what I don't want to see happen. I want people to see my situation and, and then see that in future situations and go, oh, yeah, maybe I shouldn't act like this. Maybe I shouldn't say this. Maybe I should think about how I'm impacting others. So it was through her guidance that I started started doing that. And I'm so thankful because it's, it has helped steer the conversation in the right direction. I, I will be fully honest. My, I feel like I've said that a lot, but <laughs> I will be fully <laughs> honest. Sometimes I'm so mad. My inclination is just to blast it out there and say, you get what you deserve. You put it on social media. You put it out on the public internet for people to see. But that's like, that doesn't make anything better. Hate doesn't fix hate. Mean does. I say this to my kids all the time. Mean doesn't fix mean. So when Matt hits his older brother, Jack, and Jack hits back. I say, that doesn't fix anything. Now you're both just hurt. Um, <laughs> instead, how can we use our words to fix the situation? So I got to model that behavior as their mom. So I want to 
I don't want to, at risk of alienating all our 40 viewers or how many we have, I want to get a little <laughs> deeper. Um, because when I, when I looked at, you know, when I looked at your story and the body shame, and I look at what's going on in the country around, you know, uh, Black Lives Matter and LGBT and all the things I see, that I see a theme here. And it's, 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 it seems, there's a lot of people that are unwilling to see the world through the eyes other than themselves, of other people. Mm -hmm. and, and I also want to, I think sometimes people confuse equality with equity. And I think, mm. you know, I think as a, as a society, when I look at these things, how do we change the culture so people that aren't dismissive, I see people being very dismissive, men being dismissive of, of, of women's rights, white men being dismissive of racial inequality, without, and I wonder how we change that, that discourse in, 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 in the mm. world and how we kind of trade a, a culture that's not so divisive, but coming together to understand each other. I think listening. Honestly, I think listening without waiting for your turn to talk is the number one way. Um, we, we all like to believe we're at the center of the world and, and newsflash, we're not. You know, like we're, we're not the center of the universe. So my lived experience is not the most important thing in the world. But I think a lot of people operate from that viewpoint. So I see a lot of white people right now um, telling people who are black that what they are experiencing is wrong that that's not how it is, that there's no discrimination and there is no racism. But that's their perspective. That's them centering themselves in this issue and ignoring hundreds of thousands of millions of people who are saying, no, we are experiencing discrimination. And that's, that's, not, on, that's not on the Black community's shoulders to bear. That's like telling a victim of abuse that it's their fault that they've been attacked. That's not on them to fix. That is on, on the people who are, are privileged in the system to fix. That's on people who look like me and you to fix, to say, whoa, wait a second. We were asked to run home from third plate and everyone else was asked to start at first. So we all worked hard. We all ran as fast as we could. We all, we all kicked butt in the race, but we had to run that much less of a distance than everyone else. Everyone else had to run four from home to first to second to third to home, and we had to run from third to home. So of course we work hard for our success, but we work a fraction of what other people have to. And I think if we listen, if we listen to their accounts of, of the challenges they face and we go, wow, I never knew, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I think that's the first step. You gotta realize the privilege you have, you know? And I think sometimes people, they look at them, you know, they may have worked hard. It's not saying when you say white privilege, it's not saying you haven't worked hard or had to overcome things. It's just mm -hmm. when I put you side by side with someone who may be a minority or a woman, you have more than they do. So it doesn't mean that you were given a silver spoon or anything. I think that's sometimes people have that perspective of, mm -hmm. you know, well, there's no privilege. I had to work hard. My family, they don't really understand the issues that someone else is going through. I also never had to fear that I would die because of my skin color. You know, like when our show first launched, we were talking one of like the, the very first weeks we were on the show, we had a conversation with a group of black parents talking about what, what kind of conversations they have with their kids, the challenges they face raising their children, keeping them safe. Um, so this was in 2016. And one of the moms said, who she, she was black, or she is black, and she said, you know, I have to tell my teenage son that he cannot wear his hood up, that he cannot put his hands in his hoodie pockets. And I thought, I will never have to say that to my son, ever. 
it would never occur to me to say that to my son who is growing up in the same world, in the same city, that he has to not wear a hoodie because he could die. And that, that's privilege right there. And that's not, that's not my, like, I'm not a bad person because I don't have to have that conversation, but I'm privileged. I'm lucky. I'm lucky that I don't have to have that conversation, but I didn't, like, I didn't earn that luck. I didn't earn that right. I didn't choose to be born looking the way I do. Um, not, and conversely, that mom, she didn't do anything wrong to have to have that conversation. And so because we can't choose those things, we have to realize that, okay, the world is unfair. That is not fair. <laughs> we have to have two very different experiences raising our boys and two very different sets of fears. Um, you know, so that's realizing your privilege. And, and then once you realize that you can work systemically to change it on a big scale, because this isn't like, yes, we all need to be decent human beings, but we need change on a big governmental level, um, to be able to see some of this progress being moved forward. But realizing your own individual privilege first, that's a huge step. If you don't know what your individual privilege is, by the way, you can just Google it. Google how to be an anti-racist. What is white privilege? Like there are tons of resources out there. Like any other science project you do. Uh, my son just learned about Wolverines. What did I do? I went to Google. What is a Wolverine? It's a weasel, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, that's ex literally how you need to approach this if you don't know, because there is no excuse to not know. People are dying and they don't need to be. Um, that, you know, it's, we could go on for hours about it, but it's just, it is our problem to fix. And this is 2020 and we've been talking about it for 400 years. Like now is the time. Let's just make the world better. And it's, it's not hard to do that. You just need to try. Yeah. I think it's been going on for years, but it's never felt this more uncomfortable, which I think is a good thing. Um, uh, Cause it's not just a certain area or race or demographic that feels uncomfortable. I think we collectively as a, as a world, we feel uh, uncomfortable for a variety of reasons. We all have our own, own stories, but um, it's interesting uh, to see how this has played out so far and, and how it will. Like hopefully, like I, I mean, the momentum seems to be headed in that direction, but it's going to be people like you, like your, like your show, like, you know, journalists in Canada across the world that are going to be telling the story. It's going to be an, an interesting time. Yeah, and, and, and also understanding that like people like me and, and our show, that right now it's not, it's not my voice that needs to be heard by any means. Like I'm, I've, I am not the expert here, but I have friends who are. Friends like Kayla Gray, who works at TSN, who is an incredible woman who is Black, and she has a, has a powerful story to tell. Her voice is what needs to be listened to right now. Um, for all the people who are, are so quick to like write out their story and write out what, they, what their experience is, if you're not experiencing that discrimination, right now is the time to just pause, just save, save draft and don't post and just sit back and, and listen and amplify those other voices that deserve to be heard, that are just drowned out because there's so many other people talking, you know, like it's just not the time to talk, you know, it's the time to listen and to to give the megaphone to and to say, hey, everyone else, listen up. You know? Yeah, I wish we could have that pause function at our discretion for certain people. Um, <laughs> yeah, <as laughs> yes. Kind of go through this, but uh, switching gears just a little bit. Uh, we've touched on social media a bit. And one of the things that I really find interesting is uh, how honest you are on, on social media, not just about your mental health issues, but I, we were talking earlier 
just yesterday, you put, you know, you're having a mom moment uh, with anybody with small kids. Uh, I understand, you know, we understand uh, that sometimes it's just not your day. And uh, like, I think you're, I think it was, you were on there for several minutes talking about just how you feel and, and the, you know, just talk a little bit about those moments that we all have and why, why did you post, why would you post something like that? So, so yesterday, if you have yet to see me ranting while making eggs, it's a good watch. <laughs> you should tune in. Um, so yesterday, like we, we've been in lockdown since the middle of March. It's just beginning to lift, but I'm still working from home. Kids are still not at school. My husband's still working from home. So like we have a lot of time together and um, my children are not very good at listening to me. Surprise. Shocker. <laughs> I really thought they would be great listeners. I thought I, I really like magically thought that I would be the mom who they listen to. <laughs> um, and that's not true. So yesterday um, we're also in like the midst of like kind of needing to give up my two-year-old snap, which is like awesome. It's super fun. So he is a not very nice person sometimes because he's very tired. And so yesterday he punched me in the face and it sucked and it hurt. And I freaked out because I just had hit my limit. This was like the 19th thing that had happened. And so I, I lost my cool. Like normally I'm not a yeller. I really wasn't a yeller before COVID. And then COVID happened and I learned I'm a yeller. Um, which <laughs> was, was very humbling, you know, it is what it is. So I yelled and then I felt awful cause he cried and then my older son cried. And then my husband looked at me and said, do you need a minute? And I said, I need a minute. <laughs> so they went outside and I went inside and I was like, we're probably all hangry, uh, which is what we call hungry, angry in our house. Um, so I started cooking and I thought I got to get this out. Usually I'll start writing or I'll like voice note on my phone just to get it out. Um, Cause sometimes when you start talking out loud, you realize how ridiculous you're being in the story. You're telling yourself how like uh, obscure it is and, and not true. But I thought, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna take a video. Cause I had had a mom message me. I'd, and I don't, I don't remember what she had messaged me about initially, but she messaged me and was like, how do you do it all? I was like, oh God, I don't do it all. Like I use TV and I bribe my children with Smarties and I cry in the closet sometimes. Like I, I do not have it all together. But I thought if she has the perception that I have it all together and I'm as honest as I can be, maybe I need to be more honest because I do not have it all together. And I don't want to give anyone the perception that, I, like, that I'm the, the goal and they have to to get up to the level that I'm operating at because I've, I'm like a hot mess 90% of the time. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. So anyway, I started, started filming and then like by the end, I'm like laughing. I'm like, I'm just making eggs so that we can all be nicer to each other. <laughs> and like, it's, it's ridiculous. So then I, I stopped filming and I thought, do I post this? Do I not? And I thought, just post it, Kelsey, before you can, can regret it. So I posted it and like wake up this morning and there's over 300 comments on this video of people being like, thank you. Thank you for being real. My big thing is like, I just, I go on social media and I feel inadequate and I think, okay, I go through the mental checklist. I'm like, okay, but I work on a national morning show and I have learned how to pencil my eyebrows and I've got a loving husband and I've got two great kids and we're healthy and I've got all these things. Like, how do I feel inadequate? Like, it's ridiculous that I feel inadequate because I've got all this going for me. 
And then I think, but what if there's someone else who's experiencing any kind of doubt or they've just lost their job or they, they feel lonely or they've lost a child or, or have had any number of things go wrong for them. And now they're going on social media and they're seeing the perfect world that everybody posts, these highlights, these amazing moments. And they think, oh my God, I'm a screw up or I'm not worth it or whatever. I'm never going to be as good as that. That's what social media does, right? It creates this idea that we are somehow not living our best life. <laughs> and like, I don't know about you guys, but like, I don't have a best life to live. I just have this life. And, and so I'm going to be real about it. And, and there's awesomeness in it. And there are great moments, but there's like, as a parent of two little kids, there's a lot of crap sometimes. Right. And you just, yep. if you can't laugh about it, then I don't know. Yeah, I think we're all inadequate. That's my uh, <laughs> philosophy. But, uh, but it's I, like, I, the one reason that stuck out for me is for those, those very reasons that you just described. It's, we take, we cherry pick the best moments of our life for the most part when we put them on social media, you know, it's the family together on a sleigh ride and everybody, you know, but you don't show that you were screaming at them to get on the sleigh for 20 minutes or somebody was crying, you know, because they didn't want to go on the sleigh, right? And it's, we don't share enough of that. I don't like, personally, I do this, I don't, I do the same thing, right? Like, it's like, I'm not going to post my, my weakest moments where I perceive to be in my weakest moments or my messiest moments, whatever you want to call them. But, but then conversely, when I see somebody like you do what you did yesterday, it's like, it's almost like a, a, a relief or it's a license to feel like, you know, it's, I'm not alone or uh-huh. everybody's going to in the same situation. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I feel very lucky because I, I fully acknowledge that I work for an employer that promotes that and supports that and, and creates a very safe place for me to do that. And I know that not everyone is that lucky. And so I think, I imagine I give people the benefit of the doubt that they're sometimes afraid to share that because they're afraid of any, any repercussion either from their employer or their friends or whatever. And, and I've got this circle that's there supporting me and lifting me up. But if I can be the person who maybe helps someone have that release in private or maybe even online if they, if they feel comfortable to, but if I can, give them the strength to know that it is okay. And like, then I've done my job. I get, get tons of comments, but I also get tons of private messages where people, they don't want to say it publicly, but they say, thank you. I needed to see that. I needed to see that I'm okay too. And I'm, I'm the mom of a 19 year old and a 21 year old. And I freaked out on them too. And like, it's good to see that I'm not alone. Like that's when I think, okay, my discomfort is okay. I said I, years ago, I did a, I was storm chaser panel and I was um, talking amongst my peers and I, I'm not a, I'm not a storm chaser. I'm, I'm, I, I would be terrified to do that, but I, I love that they do it. So I have lots of photos and video and stuff to share. So I felt very nervous going into it because I didn't know what to talk about. So I thought, well, maybe I'll just talk about um, the things I, I often talk about, which is like trying to fight for change. And, and I said one time, embrace discomfort. And years later, I had one of the storm chasers come back to me and said that line stuck with him because every time he felt uncomfortable, he thought, no, wait, maybe this is just me being on the verge of greatness. Like, do you think it's comfortable for a volcano that's about to explode? No, it's probably uncomfortable. But then this explosion happens and it's magnificent. You know, do you think it's comfortable for the atmosphere to be on the verge of creating this explosive thunderstorm? No, that's why the thunderstorm happens to resolve all of that and bring all of the charge back together. It's to neutralize the environment. 
But that discomfort in the moment before leads to this impressive display that is unforgettable. And then this change happens, you know? That discomfort, it, yeah, it sucks, but it's, you're just on the verge. You're on the verge of something so much better. So, Yeah, I think we, you know, when we post stuff on social media, we're always, we're worried how we're going to be judged. So I want to show the perfect family or the perfect picture of myself. I want to, because I think people are going to judge me and it, sort of, it becomes a competition. But I'm wondering, maybe the COVID with, with what you're doing, do you think this may even change the industry that's been a pretty competitive energy, you know, sort of the broadcast industry, we got to put on the makeup and look our best and go out. But I think people love to, to see the real people behind the scenes. Do you think maybe as an industry, this will sort of change how? Yeah, no more haircuts. No more haircuts. No more. <laughs> uh, just, just seeing yeah. people as, you know, people like that, right? People like to mm-hmm. see people as, as, as their neighbor. <laughs> as disheveled as we are. Yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. Well, like I've said, so if you've watched the show over the years, you'll see that like what you see now from my basement is a much dialed down version of me because I'm doing it myself and, and I, I don't wear makeup in real life. So I just put it on for the TV because you, you kind of look sickly if you don't with all the lights. But I realized that I don't really like this kind of made up version of myself. I like me like this. I like me with with a, a little bit of makeup on and kind of jeans and a, a nice shirt. And, and I weirdly am able to do my job just as well. So we've had this conversation as a team that when we, when we all come back to real life, that I don't want to be wearing four inch heels. Mm-hmm. Maybe I now feel brave enough to do it. Um, but more so, I think that we've shown that like, you don't have to be, to be, to be impressive and you don't have to be fake to be inspiring or you just be you. We're all, we're all humans. You know? I was, uh, we're almost, we're almost uh, out of time and thank you very much for going, you know, for making time to, to talk about so many things. It's been great. Oh yeah. One of the things that uh, you do on your show now is good news, right? I think you've always done like kind of those feel-good stories, but specifically because there hasn't been any good news, uh, you've made a point to to kind of highlight it. And you touched on it, and like we can all feel it too, because as much as, uh, you know, speaking from my own experience, it's been a trying time, uh, professionally and personally, um, there have been some really good things in my life. Like I get to go play basketball or go rollerblading with my kids at lunch, which I never get to do. Right. And just being done work a little bit early so I can do things with my kids. What's yeah. been the kind of the good news in your situation? What's come out of your, your, your basement living or basement dwelling <laughs> life that, uh, that you're going to cherish once, uh, things kind of return to, to normal. You know, it's the, it's a friendship between my boys. Our split is three years and Matt was born. Jack had just started school. And then the next that was one. Jack was in JK. And the next year, two, Jack was in SK. So they've never had this like one on one time where they've been stuck in the house together for extended periods of time. And I thought, oh, did we miss it? Did we miss the age gap for them to be besties? But this, I mean, the two of them now, like they don't get me wrong, right? It's like world or it's like uh, the world sling entertainment. In my house, every like they they wail on each other, but they also love each other in a way that they never have, and they 
when Matt comes, she's doing right now, wait, wake up. And then when Matt wakes up, the two of them just, they are as thick as thieves. And so I'm like, hopefully for <laughs> through those like hairy teen years uh, and then into adulthood. Um, Cause I don't know that we ever would have gotten that same kind of being forced to like each other-ness that we've had to really have for the last three months. So yeah, so that's my thankful moment. No, well, hopefully as, as great as that story is, hopefully you don't have to do it too much longer. Like hopefully, <laughs> hopefully our Fingers world, crossed. yeah, hopefully our world is slowly going uh, in the direction of uh, return to normalcy. But uh, thanks again for taking time. It's great sharing with you. Thanks for being so honest and uh, yeah. and telling everybody uh, a little bit about your your story. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, and and thank you for having these conversations because more of this, we need more of this and less of the filtered stuff. More of this. <laughs> <laughs>